Well, we met about two months ago at my friend Marsha's 31st birthday dinner, and I immediately noticed Josh. <laughs> yeah, I, I can be a little shy sometimes, um, but I said to myself, you better go up and introduce yourself, because if you don't, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. Um, and we started talking, and uh, well, here we are. Now we're fucking. <laughs> Man, oh man, what's happening, people? It's got to be apparent to pretty much anyone that Putin is looking to just destroy Ukraine now. He's trying to turn it into a parking lot, isn't he? He bombed a maternity hospital full of children. I'll tell you something, hell is a very hot place. I hope Putin's stocked up on board shorts and flip-flops and sunscreen. He's headed straight to hell after this. I saw the ratings for the major news outlets the other day, and this war has given them all a boost. Fox News is crushing both CNN and MSNBC across the board, but they're all doing a really great job right now, honestly. Sky News is as well, but it's not as dynamic as these three. Very subdued at Sky. Also, this was interesting. How do you pronounce this? Quinnipiac? Quinnipiac University, they ran a poll asking Americans that if we were invaded, would you stay and fight or flee? Only 55% of Americans that were polled said that they would stay and fight if the U.S. were invaded like Ukraine. Now, it's hyperbole because that would never happen. But the results are brutal. Republicans, 68% said they would stay and fight. 25% would flee the country. And then a bunch undecided. Independents, 57% would stay. 36% would flee. Democrats, 40% would stay. 52% would flee. <laughs> Shit. Well, you know, count me in with the Republicans and Independents because I would definitely stay and fight. I might get my ass killed, but I'd rather die here than any other place. I'll at least try taking a few of those assholes with me, if I did. Who wouldn't fight for their country if it were invaded? 45% of us are weak. That's not good. What's the sample size on this? Does it say? <laughs> it's unbelievable. Well, the good news is that it's never going to happen because we have a very strong military to protect us. No one's beating them. And listen, I think Lindsey Graham's a jerk-off, all right? He says a lot of stupid shit. But last week, he climbed the Mount Everest of stupid shit when he said during a TV interview on Fox, I think, that he hopes someone who can get close enough to Putin would assassinate him. Now, I know a lot of people are thinking this right now. But Graham was the only one to have the balls to come right out and say it. We know that kind of talk is its not only wrong, but it's very dangerous. Also, not a very Christian thing to say, 
Mr. Graham. This is world politics. It's not an episode of The Sopranos. So the White House has to respond immediately, right? The press secretary gets up there, says this is against foreign policy. It's definitely not the position of the White House. So Graham doubles down, tweets that shit. He says something like, I don't care if it's against foreign policy. He's dangerous, he's ruthless, and he should be killed. Like I said last week, killed? No. Kidnapped and arrested? Definitely. Try this man in the courts of Ukraine. Let them deal with him. No more death. No more killing. It's one thing to think this. A lot of people are thinking this right now. I know it. And say it behind closed doors. But in public? On television? You can't call for the murder of the leader of a nation. Due process. Everyone has a right to that, no matter what crimes have been committed. And I understand the whole eye-for-an-eye concept. But this isn't the Old Testament we're living in. Right? It's 2022, and we're more civilized than that. <laughs> I say we're more civilized. Putin is like a coked-out, loony bird, savage motherfucker. Don't be a Putin. And isn't it funny how this country has been at war with each other for like a solid six to eight years now? And it took Vladimir Putin to bring us all together. We've got all kinds of bipartisan stuff going on in Washington. Americans are in solidarity with each other and Ukraine against Putin. 9-11 did it first. Putin did it next. I love it. We're getting along again. All right, let's meet in the middle, people. We can do this. I had a friend of mine. He's on a ski trip in Italy right now. And that would normally be cause for celebration. All right, but the trip turned into an absolute fucking nightmare. It was supposed to go last year for this big skiing trip with this group, but it got canceled because of COVID. So the whole thing got postponed. So she left last Friday, texted me on Saturday afternoon. Her flight out of the U.S. got suspended because of some issues with the airplane. So they put her on another flight. Then the flight she was supposed to take that would have taken her to where everyone else was staying wasn't available any longer. So she ended up in Venice for the night. Like, oh, boo-hoo, you're stuck in Venice. And she found her way to the hotel where everyone had booked a room. That's not the worst of it. They lost her luggage and her skiing gear. And she finally got it back uh, Tuesday. Can you imagine? You plan a trip like this, a dream vacation. And you get absolutely drilled, first by the pandemic, then by the airlines. She was walking around, had to buy undergarments and new clothes in Italy. Toiletries, everything. What a debacle. This has always been my greatest fear in making connecting flights. Keep me on one single plane. I do not want there to be any chance that you're going to lose my luggage. Because God only knows when I'm going to see that shit again. And she's on the other side of the pond. What would have happened if it didn't show up before she leaves again on Friday? She may never see that shit again. I don't know what do airlines do in that case. Do they give you a free voucher for another trip or some kind of compensation? Do they carry insurance for that shit? It sucks for her, and my heart went out to her. Lucky as fuck it wasn't me in that case. I know a shit ton of dirty words in Italian. I'd be using every one of them on the phone every day until my shit turned up. (laughs) Actually, they're Italian. They'd probably burn my shit if I said that. There's this nice couple a few houses down from me. They're trying to get back on the road to health. 
and they've been relying on takeout or fast food for a lot of their meals for a really long time. And it seems to have caught up with them. So they decided they were going to uh, look into these home meal kits, and they went with Blue Apron. Not only do they love the meals that they're having, they've gotten like addicted to them. They were raving about it so much, they went into their house, grabbed this stack of recipe cards that they saved, 8.5 by 11, full color. There must be close to 20 of them. So I'm looking at these cards. I'm telling you something. If you wanted to really learn how to cook, I mean, take it seriously, these recipe cards from Blue Apron are like a guidebook. I think they're either relying on the fact that people would rather order from them or they're seriously trying to help people learn and see how easy it is to make healthy meals at home. The photos are clear. The directions are clear, perfectly organized, and I totally get it now. I see why these home delivery meal kits are popular. I think they're doing something special. And I have to wonder how many people would order 20 of these things, then stop ordering, right? You've got the cards, buy the ingredients yourself, and then start cooking these meals on their own. I don't know what the stat is on that. I'd like to think it was high. You cook 20 of these meals successfully. You start to build confidence in the kitchen. Like, you know, I can do this. You did it 20 times before. Stock your pantry and your fridge with a bunch of ingredients. Capture that magic on your own. Next thing you know, you know, you're well on your way. And I'm meeting a lot of new people lately. They always ask, you know, what do you like to do for fun outside of riding bikes or taking hikes? And the first thing I would say is that I love to cook. And the response that I get is almost always the same. Lots of eye rolling. Really? You love to cook? And you wonder if they've heard that way too many times and they find out that it wasn't true. But in my case, it is. You guys know I'm not lying. Standard response from them too. I'm so tired. I don't have the time. I just throw something together quick. And that's fine. That's great, actually. You know, people who care about themselves will cook for themselves instead of going out or, you know, ordering takeout. But that's the difference. I live for this shit. I think about it all day. You know, yeah, I'm cooking for one these days, but I'm also experimenting, right? I can try something new. And if it sucks, it's still food, right? But I keep my skills sharp. Try it again. That way, if I have dinner company, I want to share something new, I'll shine. That's not to say I don't have like 40 to 50 go-to things that I know I can make because I've made them so many times before. But it's nice to play around with stuff. And there are nights that I don't feel like being in the kitchen. And those nights are super easy. You know, I can make a salad, eat some raw vegetables, done. And I'm not above making simple things like burritos either. I love that. That shit's easy. But overall, I don't really ever want to lose that passion. Because I've had it for so long. And it's something that's part of who I am. And if I lost that passion, I think a major part of me would kind of die inside. And I'm trying to get back that youthful spirit that I had when I was with Katrina. Because that's definitely gone now. I don't feel it anymore. I don't see it in myself. The only time I feel even a twinkle of that is like now when I'm doing the show. Or when I'm hanging out with my friends, breaking balls, you know, golfing, camping, stuff like that. I'm working in my garden, right? Spring's coming. I thought it would, you know, bring back some of the feelings of the old days with Kat. But I'm doing it alone. She's not here to share it with. So yeah, it's it's tough to get stuff like that back once you lose it. And I'm older, you know, and I've been a parent. So I know a lot of it 
It has to do with that. Anyway, look, I don't want to spend a lot of time this week on the Ukraine situation because it's a bummer and I've talked it out already. But it came as no shock to anyone that Putin started banning news outlets from reporting on you know what's actually happening in Ukraine. Even foreign outlets that were there in Russia, they, they all had to leave. Putin doesn't want anyone reporting fake news. <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> this guy is literally robbing the bank in front of the security guard while saying, I'm not robbing this bank. He's got stacks of hundreds falling out of his jacket. This is why we need independent news. The idea that any country would have a state-run news organization reporting the news is about as dangerous as it gets, especially when most countries have their fair share of dumb shits living in it who rely on every word out of the prime minister or the president's mouth. Politicians cannot be trusted, period. I don't care who you are. They have to be held accountable, and independent news organizations are there for that. It's just that when these you know, news organizations do fuck up, and they're going to screw up, all right? It's, it's inevitable. It hurts their credibility, and people stop trusting them. That's the problem. Russia didn't stop there either. They banned Facebook, Twitter, I think, and made a law that anyone who was caught spreading misinformation, which is the actual news, in case you wonder what misinformation means in Russia, anyone actually telling people what's truly going on, will face like up to 15 years in prison or they have to pay a steep fine. <laughs> I'm thinking, sounds like somebody needs the money. I'll go one further. You already know how I feel about Ukraine and its people and, you know, Zelensky, the president. It sounds like they're kind of taking a page out of Russia's playbook with their propaganda. It kind of said some unreal shit. Over the, this past weekend, last weekend, they claimed that they'd killed more than 10,000 Russian soldiers. Well, Russia claimed the death toll was like 500. 10,000 sounded like a lot. In under two weeks of fighting, I'm thinking, get the fuck out of here with that. Just be honest. Or who knows, maybe they are. They're kicking the shit out of them. I know Russia now has close to 95% of their full military capacity involved in the operation. And they continue to lose the ground battle. So I don't know, maybe they have lost that many. I really don't think I want to know, to be honest. Speaking of propaganda, social media, apparently Twitter's just turned into a, a total shit storm. I, I don't, I'm not even looking, but there are parts of Twitter that it's just getting really, really bad. Someone posted a screenshot of a fake tweet from CNN showing Steven Seagal fighting with the Russian military against Ukraine. They included an image of Seagal marching with these other two soldiers. So people were buying into that shit and started sharing it everywhere. Turns out the image was from a movie that he did five years ago. But guess who was one of the lemmings who retweeted it? Joe Rogan. <laughs> Within an hour, somebody messaged him that it was fake, so he deleted it. Then he posts this, I deleted my earlier post about Steven Seagal being in Ukraine because it was a parody, which isn't surprising. It wasn't a parody, but it was, it was a lie. But honestly, it wouldn't be surprising if it was true either. Really, dude? He's a fucking actor. He's not a soldier. Now, he does have Russian citizenship because he's apparently a traitor and a jackass. But there's a clear delineation between being a trained military soldier and playing one in the movies. <laughs> what a dope. Uh, last Saturday's group ride was something. We always ride along the coast. It's always cooler 
than any place else. Well, we had some really strong winds, and they were cold. And it's fun riding in the wind. But man, it was cutting through us like a hot knife through ice cream. The funniest part was there was this odd nut that kind of joined the group. I have no idea who he is. He wore a full face mask, so you couldn't see his face. Didn't talk to anyone. Didn't introduce himself. He was wearing this green army belt, complete with a, a U.S. Army metal canteen attached to it. Like World War II style. Had a utility tool, flashlight, and some other odd shit that I couldn't identify attached to it. Looked like he was planning on going to war on his mountain bike. Very bizarre character. But he kept to himself. It was nice. It was a southern moment. We went through this neighborhood. and We were overtaken with the smell of bacon. You ever go for a walk on the weekends in the morning through your neighborhood and smell this? When bacon is being cooked, the smell is very definable. And because people will oftentimes turn on the fan above their stove while they're cooking it, it blows that smell outside. So it turns your house into this giant bacon air freshener for the whole neighborhood. And you don't mistake that scent with anything else, right? And I dare you to smell bacon and not want to immediately eat bacon. It's hard to do unless, you know, you don't actually like it. And I'd think unless you don't eat pork at all, you probably love bacon. On the subject of bacon. The seven-hour operation is the first of its kind as surgeons try to save patient David Bennett's life by replacing his heart with a genetically modified pig's heart. It's not a sure thing. There's no guarantee that the experimental surgery will work. But the 57-year-old has survived three days so far, and it's given the medical community and his family hope that a decades-long quest to be able to use animal organs for life-saving transplants will be successful and help many more people in the future. It's a life-or-death scenario for Bennett, who was ineligible for a human heart transplant and had no other option. According to a statement provided by University of Maryland Medicine, Bennett said a day before the surgery, it was either die or do this transplant. I want to live. I know it's a shot in the dark, but it's my last choice. I look forward to getting out of bed after I recover. Other attempts at this type of transplant have not worked, mostly because the patient's bodies rejected the animal organs. In this case, the pig underwent gene editing to remove a sugar from cells responsible for organ rejection. David Bennett Jr., Bennett's son, said in a statement to the Associated Press about his father, he realizes the magnitude of what was done, and he really realizes the importance of it. He could not live, or he could last a day, or he could last a couple days. We're in the unknown at this point. Oh, nice. We begin with breaking news this noon. The first person to receive a heart transplant from a pig has died two months after this groundbreaking experiment at a Maryland hospital. Oh, shit. David Bennett died on Tuesday at the University of Maryland Medical Center. Doctors did not give the exact cause of death, but say his condition began deteriorating several days ago. WJZ first introduced you to Bennett in January when he had his first ever transplant surgery. He suffered from terminal heart disease. He was told there was no guarantee it would work. David Bennett was 57 years old. This story is sad, and I don't mean to be cruel, I feel for the man and his family. But there's an obvious joke here. And this show hasn't really been funny in a while. So I'm going to take them wherever I can find them. If you're suffering from heart disease, how does it make any sense 
that you'd replace your heart with something that comes from an animal that produces one of the leading causes of heart disease. I mean, if you ate so much fucking bacon during your life that it destroyed your ticker, why on earth would you put another pork product in your body, especially something that could potentially kill you? I'll joke in aside, this story's tragic. This poor bastard. You, you watch some of this video. The man looks like he's barely holding on, completely out of it. Heart disease is real, folks. Take care of that thing. Wait, hear that? Yep, a name just jumped the shark. <laughs> I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> also, this great movie from 2006. There's no way to segue out of that and into this. So I'm just going to you know, just jump in head first. This movie I found in my uh, DVD collection. And um, I'm going to hell. I, I hadn't seen this movie in a while, so I, I watched it again the other night. It was called Babel. And it was fantastic. It's got Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett in it. And you know what reminded me? I saw this movie around the time we started doing Dude Night. So that's why it kind of rang a bell. It tells multiple stories at once. But the people in these stories are all kind of connected to each other in some way. And it's all over the map. Like Morocco, Japan, U.S., Mexico. I looked at the story this time through a different lens. And I wonder why American lives are treated so much differently than anyone else, as if we're the ones who matter the most. This American woman, played by Kate Blanchett, she's accidentally shot. And suddenly, every single person in the village in Morocco is interrogated and beaten until someone confesses. And the nanny back home, taking care of her kids, She's illegal, right? She's supposed to go back to Mexico to attend her son's wedding. They were supposed to be home already. And she gets completely screwed in the whole deal. And there's this Japanese girl who's deaf. That's a whole other story. But the story really is about communication and why we can't all speak the same human language, which to me is like love and compassion. Like you can refer to an impoverished country as a shithole, but the people who live in it are human beings. And they're just as important as you and I. They have the same rights as we do. It's like what's going on in a real world right now, right? This is a learning moment for everyone. Be compassionate to people. Some people need it, and you might not even know it. This is why I smile at strangers. I say hello to people I don't know. I try to be courteous all the time. Maybe they're having a bad day. And saying hi and smiling might lift their spirits a little. Even if they're mean to me, I'll still do that. Because you never know what other people are going through, right? Everyone's going through something. But I'll tell you this. Nothing makes my eyes well up more than when someone shows me compassion. Instead of telling pig heart jokes like <laughs> some asshole I know. <laughs> All this hubbub over this don't say gay bill in Florida. Have you actually looked at this? It has nothing to do with saying the word gay, right? They've simply written a bill that prohibits public school teachers from, you know, instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity and kindergarten through third grade, which is kind of stupid, right? Nonsensical. 
they don't even teach it in those grades. But I guess it, it limits it further to age appropriate in other grades. Has, hasn't it always been this way? Or have times changed that much? I do know that a lot of kids are coming out earlier in school than they used to, which is progress. But I also know that there are kids who are doing it so they can stand out. I mean, you couldn't do that shit when I was in high school, or most of you were in high school. If you, if you didn't get ridiculed into you know, the point where you were homeschooled, you got hazed or jumped. And it seems fashionable to a lot of these kids now. And it's sad because it's not something you fake for the sake of feeling special among your peers, right? But again, it's a sign of the times. We've come this far, you know? It wasn't that long ago that homosexuals were being lynched for coming out. But let's cut down on the hysteria here, right? No one's saying you can't say the word gay. It's a little concerning that LGBTQ rights, did I say that right? It's it. They're being they're under they're under attack. They're being threatened. A lot of these laws, it's not good. It doesn't look good. Well, I think this one's getting too much press because it doesn't sound like a law at all. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. And I'm not defending this bill if that's how it sounds. Okay, I am pro gay all the way, hundred percent. I just think it's not necessary, and I don't know what they're trying to prove with this. One of the bill's sponsors, Republican guy. He said something that was pretty spot on. He said that this bill basically recognizes that uh, parents are in charge of their kids, their education, and their personal development, and that, you know, sometimes the, the right answer is that you should talk to your parents about this stuff. And you really should, if they'll talk to you about it. And I think that's the problem. I don't know when school got involved in this stuff. Back in our day, they taught you the birds and the bees, how condoms work, how menstrual cycles work, all that stuff. And there wasn't a person in class that wasn't either laughing or trying not to laugh. The one thing they didn't cover was that it's not all about you and why we have sex in the first place. And that's this is why women were going into their 30s before they experienced an orgasm. I think they should teach kids how to be safe, how not to make critical mistakes. But then when you get out of school, that's when you get a real education on sex itself. You know, there are a lot of couples, <laughs> it's a lot they don't know, and it can really save a marriage. Imagine if they taught you that it's possible for a woman to have back-to-back-to-back orgasms during sex. You don't think we'd, that we'd have a sexual revolution? And this is where the line needs to be drawn, okay? Parents should parent, teachers should teach. Why is so much emphasis being put on sexuality and gender identity in school? right? Those are personal issues and parents hold that responsibility. But here's the problem. Parents, by and large, have become lazy. They don't want to do shit. They set a bad example for their kids, which is why their kids are so difficult. Take parenting seriously. Set the best possible example for your children. Have a standard that they must meet and they'll be fine. But people want to push it off on teachers in public schools to do that job for them too. Then blame the teachers when shit goes south. It's your fault. No, it isn't, you chooch. You're the one letting this little stronzo run wild when he's in your care. I get him for six hours a day, along with 15 other troubled kids raised by other shitty parents. And this one's on me? Fuck you. You had it. You raise it. 
Look at how much parents were complaining during the lockdown. They were pissed that their free childcare got taken away. And the kids spent most of their time playing games on their phones instead of doing the work because the parents weren't prepared enough to keep their kids in line. I saw this firsthand for years. My daughter would tell me so-and-so is a wild animal in class. Then I meet the father and I see where he gets it. I don't have a single friend who has kids who has raised them without setting some type of a high standard. All right, I know what a hard job it is. And I applaud all my friends for taking that responsibility seriously. I acted the fool in sixth grade one time. Got called into the principal's office. They call my mom. She was pissed. Is this how I raised you? (laughs) That's what she said. Disappointing my mother was the lowest point I could get to. And I never did it again. Then Bob Chapek. I don't know how to pronounce his name either. He's the CEO of Disney. He came out against this Florida bill, and he plans on talking with DeSantis. You don't want to piss off Disney, all right? Especially when it's responsible for bringing in a shit ton of money to your town or your state. If you don't believe me, ask Anaheim. Disney practically owns that town. Far-fetched, right? But, But say he threatens to close down Disney World over this. He's not going to do that, but imagine. There's a ton of money that you're losing. In reality, it's about something that hits a little closer to home for these people. Political donations. Like, overturn it or say goodbye to all that money. Disney has clout and bottomless pockets. Don't poke the bear. Or in this case, the mouse. (laughs) On the subject of Disney, AT&T's acquisition of Time Warner and DirecTV for $200 billion has been a colossal failure. I mean, I haven't seen an organization make a move this bad since the Oilers traded Gretzky to the Kings. DirecTV was awesome back in the day. I was a loyal customer of theirs for like 15 years. And the prices just kept getting crazier and crazier. And I said, oh, fuck it. I gave it up. But the key to DirecTV's success was NFL Sunday Ticket. If you wanted to watch all out-of-market games, all that you pleased, every game, Sunday Ticket was like the golden key. Well, guess what? After this upcoming season, when it's over, that contract ends and they're going to have to renegotiate. So this opens it up for any other company that wants to, to bid on it to come in and place their bid. Well, guess who's coming to dinner? Disney and Apple. These two companies have the money to completely outbid AT&T. They're hemorrhaging cash. And Apple, they're not into sports. They haven't done anything with sports. But Disney, I mean, they bought ESPN. And ESPN already shows NFL games, Monday Night Football. But if this indeed does happen, and either Disney or Apple buy the rights to show these NFL games, it's going to be madness. Apple, I think, would be just a bad choice. Because there is a certain sector of people who dislike Apple. They dislike, that's not the right word. They hate them. They loathe Apple. All right. So the idea that these people would be forced to subscribe to Apple Plus and pay the extra for the NFL package, that's something I have my doubts about. Disney seems like a right fit. People don't have an issue with Disney, right? It's family friendly. When I meet anyone new and we get on the subject of phones or computers, They'll ask if I'm a Mac guy or a PC guy, Android or iPhone. 
I'm a Mac guy and an iPhone guy, but I've got no problem with Windows, PCs, or Android phones. I think they're fantastic. But I've been in this Apple ecosystem for so long now, especially with how I work, decades. I feel like a fish out of water when I switch. It's like running a 5K in cowboy boots, you know, uphill in molasses. I feel handcuffed. So I'm I'm being very cordial about it, right? Fair and balanced. Not these people. I hate Apple. Why do you hate Apple? They're just so expensive, and I don't like how strict everything is. So hard to customize your phone. They lock everything up. There's no freedom. Yeah, okay, so you're used to customization. I get that. But you hate Apple for that? They won't be truthful. They hate Apple because of how elitist a lot of Apple users are. And they can be elitist. They're complete snobs. It's the same reason Republicans don't like Democrats. <laughs> the kind of snobs you want to take behind the woodshed and kick the shit out of. Apple started this bullshit separation themselves when their backs were against the wall in the 90s. That whole, I'm a PC, I'm a Mac ad campaign. Apple never did win that battle. They never were going to win it. But they found a way to win the war. Like, I was at the Macworld conference in San Francisco when Steve Jobs announced the first iPhone in 2005. I've never seen anything more cult-like in my life. The phone was in this glass case, and it was spinning around, and people were just gathered around it with, like, gaping maws, you know, the jaws wide open. And they talked about Steve Jobs like he was, like, the second coming of Jesus. I'm thinking, what the fuck is wrong with these people? It's just a phone. No, it's more than that. It's the internet in your hand. Was the iPhone a hit? Yeah. But to see people fawning all over a piece of glass and plastic was just kind of gross. But then again, the, 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 the greatest criticism came from the fact that they had signed an exclusive deal with AT&T. So if you wanted to own the iPhone, you had to sign with AT&T, which at the time was a shitty service. A guy I worked with, he had the iPhone, it was on his desk, right? I said, how do you like it? He says, it's great. Just wish I could actually make phone calls on it. <laughs> it's a phone, goddammit. But once they opened it up to Verizon and other services, and that's when it took off. Hell, I had a Samsung Note for a couple of years. It was a great phone. And I was with Verizon, and they had the same problems. Turns out it was a known issue at the time with that phone on that service. I'm like, why'd you sell it to me? You don't bother telling me the phone has problems on your service? Assholes. I wanted them to take it back, but they wouldn't do it. They started giving me all this these signal boosting, uh, you know, like little router thing. Worthless. I actually ended up using my wife's older iPhone until my contract ran out. Then I traded the note for the new iPhone. And I never turned back. And hey, look, I can't do a single show now without mentioning sports at least once. You remember Phil Mickelson was talking about how the PGA was greedy, right? PGA doesn't care. They're, you know, they're, they're greedy about everything. This weekend's Players' Championship is going to have the biggest purse ever for any tournament. $20 million. 60% more than it was three years ago. The winner will take home $3.6 million. It'll be the first time any tournament has cracked the $3 million mark for the winner. So if you wonder why players look so pissed off when they miss a birdie putt, that's why. Every stroke costs money. You go into Sunday with a five-shot lead and you give that lead up or allow a player to catch you, you're losing money. And depending on how tight it is, at the top of the leaderboard, 
A single stroke costs $10,000 or more. No, worse than that, $100,000. That's why golf is so exciting to watch. The players, is like that's the tournament everyone wants to be in because it brings in so much money and it pays it out. Even the four major championships can't compete with the players. Last year, the U.S. Open had the biggest purse among all the majors, $12.5 million. PGA Championship was 12, and then the Masters and the Open was like 11.5 or something. Now, those major trophies are a bigger deal, right? Because it etches your name in history, and sponsors will be all over you. So you end up making more in the long run. But <laughs> for a fat payday, the players. All right, that's it for me. Putin, see you in hell. Save me a seat, try to get in front row. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to this bullshit. Finish the week strong. Enjoy your weekend. Happy birthday, Sue. And until next time, my name is Phil, and this has been an A. Ciao. spent so much time looking for a woman that I could plow so hard that she'd walk funny for two days straight and I'm just really glad that I never gave up. No one should. <laughs>